Well, you're back at the Faculty Factory Podcast. Hi, everybody. It's Kim, and I'm really happy to welcome Dr. Lisa Coplett today. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Kim. Everybody, Dr. Lisa Coplett is the Associate Dean for Faculty Development and a Professor of Medical Sciences at the Frank H. Netter, MD, School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University in Hamden, Connecticut. Right, Lisa? Did I say that right? The professor of medical sciences? You got it right. I'm also general internist. um, So that's my clinical side. And you, I saw, used to chair the AAMC UME. um, That is the Remind me with the medical education that you is for. Yep, it's undergraduate medical undergraduate education. Medical education. Yep, the section. Mm-hmm. And you are also a member of the GEA, the Group on Education Affairs. So you're yes. really active in the AAMC. Education is clearly your passion. I know you're going to talk about something specific, but I did, I did want to plug your podcast. And we're going to cross-reference it on the facultyfactory.org, the Faculty Factory website. Your podcast is The Told Me, and I love wordplay and acronyms and Mm. mnemonics, and Told Me stands for To Learn and Develop for Medical Educators, To Learn and Develop, Told Me. It's awesome. Um, You have to, friends, you have to check this out. In fact, I was looking at great titled episodes, Medical Students Feedback on Feedback, Teaching when your practice is packed, but teaching when the hospital is hectic, teaching when your practice is packed. Again, all this stuff sounds familiar, right? What is the evidence? The power of mentorship. Are we all leaders? When students and residents struggle, remediation, um, think, gather, think, transforming your presentation skills. So many awesome episodes. You, you must get to this podcast. Again, the Told Me podcast. Why don't you tell us what it is you want to share with us today? Because I know we were talking before, you have so much in your portfolio, but um, what's on your heart in your head today to share with the world? I I have so much that I would love to share, and I love having the chance to have that conversation with you, but I have to back up and say thank you very much for um, all of those kind words, and also that I'm just incredibly honored to be a guest on your podcast. I was listening to your podcast before ours ever started. Um, so it's, it's real, and it's really inspirational. I think what you've done with it is unbelievably, uh, just remarkable for a full-time administrator, educator. Um, it's amazing. You're kind. Thank so you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I was, I was brainstorming, just sort of thinking in the car this morning on the way in, um, of all the things sort of top of my mind. And, I think one of them that's always at the top of my mind is that are the challenges of faculty development in community-based medical schools. It's it's quite different um, than at um, sort of a traditional academic medical center. I started in my medical school and my training at Boston University Traditional Academic Medical Center. I went on to Mount Sinai in New York, which is also a traditional academic medical center. Um, amazing training and amazing um, early faculty and leadership experience. Um, And then I came to QU Netter and I've been here for 11 years and there's so many wonderful opportunities, um, you know, being at a new school um, and building new programs. I love to build things. Um, And, and yet it's really different and you have to adapt 
everything you do, obviously, when you're in a different context. So what's challenging? Um, probably the biggest challenge, I don't know if it's the biggest, maybe not, but I think the biggest challenge is the fact that, you know, we're geographically just so widely distributed. So we have, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but we have um, affiliate partner sites all over the state of Connecticut. We have one in Maine. Um, I know I'm forgetting one. Um, there's one that's further south and I'm not remembering, uh, but so, so many sites all over the place, right? So it's not like you can just walk across the street to see people and meet people and you're not crossing right. with them in the hallway every day, yeah. all day. Yeah, we're the same. We're the same at Hopkins. We have right in downtown Baltimore is you know the mothership, um, and then we're all over the suburbs and the D.C. Washington D.C. corridor. We have All Children's Hospital down in Saint Petersburg, Florida, and I think a lot of that traditional academic medical centers, Lisa, are their footprint is just growing. So it does bring so many challenges to people like you and me who who love to build, I, I'm like you, Lisa, I love to build and create. And not only is it the content, but the experience. And it's hard to create a, mm -hmm. an experience of community when your community is so geographically that's dispersed. Exactly. I share the challenge. And it's, that's exactly it's right. And that's so much of what we do is building that community, um, you know, and, and even formally communities of practice. It's, you know, it's, it's really, it is challenging. So I think that geographic distribution is part of the challenge. The other is that, you know, we don't, for the majority of our faculty are voluntary faculty, right? We don't, we don't own their hospital um, and, and we don't pay their salary and they have so many competing demands. Oh. Um, and it certainly doesn't mean that they're, um, that they're not. Uh, giving the time that they need to, to the learners. But when it comes to engaging in, you know, above and beyond professional development, that's outside of their scope of everyday life. Um, it's really competing with a lot of things. You know, they've got patients, they've got learners, they've got their administrative work, they've got requirements they have to fulfill to maintain their clinical appointment, their board certification, all these pieces. Um, and if they don't feel connected to that community, right? And a really integral part of the School of Medicine, it's it's harder to incentivize faculty to participate. And, and those two challenges are, are pretty big. So I've thought a lot about um, and tried a lot um, to, to create that sense of community and to, and to bring people into, I guess the best I can say is the faculty development program, because people can engage however much or little as they want mm -hmm. and however they want. Yeah, I like your online modules and your your website, you know, showing people and pointing people to how what they can do and study and learn on on their own. And the just the the nice depth of education teaching um resources that they have. So you at least built that nice, really nice website. I'm so impressed that you saw that. I had no idea that you even right. saw that. You're just so yes. my gosh, you really did your homework. Um, one of the things that we have beyond that is, so we have the, the public website and the public website sort of pulls them into our learning management system. We have a centralized repository of resources on Blackboard, which is our learning management system. 
and it's just a faculty development organization. And there we have the schedule of, um, of workshops that we're doing for the year. We have um, online, really good online coursework that they can do completely asynchronously. Um, And then we have a really robust list of resources based on topic. And I think that's helpful to have, but interestingly, um, what I've learned though, is that it's actually the public website that's going to get the traffic. There's so many logistics that are involved in something that, that we, you know, this is like, we live and breathe, you know, faculty development. And yet often it's just logistics that get in the way. It reminds me of IPE, right? Like IPE is, (laughs) it's so, it's so important. Mm. And, um, you know, we have all these wonderful aspirational goals that we want in terms of our students learning. Um, and yet often it just comes down to logistics of bringing together different health professions, learners and teachers in the same place. So I think that often our faculty who are clinical partner sites are saying, oh, I don't remember how to get into that site. So I'm just going to Google it. So they uh-huh. need to be able to hit, hit something right. quickly when they Google yeah, and they it- hit public website. So Before we get too far down the path, I want to make sure everybody knows what IPE is, interprofessional education. Yes, thank but you. You're, exact, you're exactly right. I, and we try so hard to put information in one a one-stop shop experience. And then it's like you're darned if you do, you're darned if you don't, because we build these robust programs and put them in these places. And then it's you have to click and find and... Yep. And it's multiple clicks and then the frustration goes up. And then where can I find this? And you put at Hopkins, we have the SharePoint and it used to be OneDrive or I don't know if OneDrive is SharePoint or all these, you know, places. I'm so glad that somebody else did not understand the distinction between SharePoint and OneDrive. Oh my gosh. I don't know. It doesn't matter how many times (laughs) someone explains that to me. Oh, I still don't get it because I will send out links of like we have. We put all the documents for all the departmental onboarding and the, the SharePoint. I don't have access to the SharePoint. Yes, you do. Invite me to the SharePoint. I've invited you three times. How come I don't have access to it? Oh, it's because you're using the wrong email yes, address. Yes, and imagine then being a faculty member who's, you know, yes. 50 miles away at a different oh. hospital. And I mean, we're just adding on so many layers I, and a different true. and a different password. Of course, of course, everything. But then you don't know, like, what do you do back in the day? You'd have like an office with brochures and books and pamphlets and file folders and handouts. And so then we went to, you know, having, um, you know, a a file folder on my computer I'd share, but that's not convenient. So now we're all sharing Google. Everything's shareable in clouds everywhere, trying to make it easier. But it's, again, I feel, I always feel badly that I always tell our faculty, please don't look for anything. Just email me. Just email me <laughs> and I will find I'm my, my top Clifton strengths. My number one one is input. So I'm all about like this getting input and sorting. I'm like one of these like robot sorters so I can find things easily. I'm like, I don't want you to spend, if you got to click more than three times, email me. Yes. That's, well, that's it's, a great rule. It's just so, so it's. Oh, so that's so actually, that was one of the things that's been the most helpful was on the public. I just tell people, if you forget. Google Netter faculty development or some permutation of that. And then they hit the public website. And then the thing that's been the most helpful is we created some FAQs and the FAQs say, how do I find 
X is like, we have a, f- a couple of those, right? Because you do, I saw, them. <laughs> but, but that's what they need. And, and, and I would be the same if I was in their yeah. shoes. So there's that, there's just a piece. And it was so interesting that you mentioned the centralized piece, right? So I feel like I've cycled in and out through my career of doing faculty development. Okay. I'm going to work really hard on building this really great, robust, centralized group of resources. You know what? I've now realized that we need to go to our faculty. <laughs> Forget the centralized. We need to go to them and we need to bring them exactly what each group needs. And then sort of back to the, and I and I think that it's because the answer, and who knows what I'll say 10 years from now, but I think the answer is it has to be both. Um, we, we have to have both. So we have to have centralized resources of where we can point everyone. And there's also a certain level of quality we know there and we can control. And then we have to meet faculty where they're at as well and find good ways to do it. So that was one thing. And then, um, so I started, so I started thinking about what have I learned over the years in terms of how to address those challenges of being in a community-based school. And so one of the things is because our faculty are primarily volunteer, voluntary, excuse me, is how do you stimulate internal motivation? And, and all that is really is the carrot is much more powerful than the stick, right? But how do you do that? And so um, thinking about, uh, well, how do you motivate learners, period, right? So how do you... Uh, identify what their interests are. So speaking to people's individualized interests, uh, you can decide to have a theme, you know, for a year and, and yet that theme doesn't speak to half the people you want to reach. Um, so having a variety of options of content um, and allowing people to be self-directed in that way. Um, thinking also about one thing we've started to delve into is it's sort of a, a a reward system of micro credentials, and I and I want to um, to explain that a little bit um, because I did not know what micro credentials were two years ago. So micro credentials are yeah. short, focused credentials that are designed to provide in demand skills. And then one type of micro-credential is a digital badge. And that's something that we're working on. And digital badges are visual indicators of a micro-credential that somebody has earned. And they can be distinguished by the level of activity that's required for that level of credential. So a micro-credential is is a little different than a certificate. A certificate is sort of one level up um, because a micro-credential is meant to be even, even smaller or shorter than a certificate. Can you give us an example of like what a micro credential would be in what or like credential to do what? Um, that's a great example. That's a great question. So one that's just coming to mind in medicine um, and 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 keep in mind, these are very new to medicine. This is much more in the business world. Like you have yeah, companies. I've never heard of this. So never. you have com- you have businesses that are saying, you know, we need you to learn how to use X platform, you know, right. And there's places that are offering these micro credentials, come and work with us for a week, you know, or learn from us for a week. And we'll give you that little, 
that little mini certificate or digital badge or something that says that you've earned this micro credential that you know how to do that. So now you've you're upskilling is what they call it, right? So upskilling. you're you're increasing your skill level um, and learning something new that can help you do your job better. And so some companies are paying for their employees to go get these micro credentials to upskill them in certain areas that they need. So this is a, a new concept to medicine. Yeah. Um, and um, and so it's being used a little bit for faculty with faculty development that if you engage in this particular content area, let's say giving feedback, you can get a digital badge that goes under your signature and your email line. Um, and you can call it whatever you like, but, you know, feedback bronze level. Um, right. And then you engage oh more God. deeply and you would get feedback silver level micro credential. That goes I love this. And so there's, you know, there's some decent literature around these things that um, they serve as rewards to the work that we put in and therefore incentives for people. Gosh, Lisa, you know, now I'm going to go on one of my crazy riffs, but you're, I can't help but think about what you're talking about. And this is why I love this podcast. I love meeting smart people and learning new stuff all the time. So thanks for introducing me something brand new. You're making me think about how, you know, we try to think of faculty development in terms of stage, early career, mid-career, late career, by promotion pathway, if you're on, you know, a traditional research pathway or clinician educator pathway or program building pathway, fill in the blank. If you are MD or PhD, basic scientist, clinical scientist. So we we try to stage and have matrices with different level, like the 101 version of leadership, the mid, you know, 202 version of leadership. And so what you're thinking, what you just said to me about the badges, and you told us about this badging level, makes me think of that matrix of faculty development, where if you think of a tree trunk, where all new faculty who are coming to academic medicine, there's this core competencies that everyone should have, everyone should know how to write, yeah, and and and, and how to navigate peer, you know, science and peer-reviewed publications. And maybe then the branches go into, if if you're going to go in education, are you teaching in the clinic? Are you teaching in the classroom? Are you teaching at the bedside? Um, And if you're going to go in traditional science, how to get the grants? Uh, If you're in the clinic, what are the business of of medicine? What are the funds flow? All the branches. But then I'm thinking as those, as you mature and we progress through different stages of our career, the branches go out. Now you're in the different badging level. So I can envision like a branch of saying, I'm good at negotiation. And in the tree trunk, I took the basic level, but now I'm getting, you know, approaching associate professor. I'm now I'm a leader. I'm a division director. I want to be a de- department director, a chair, and now I want to be a dean. So now you go down the, the branch and you're getting a different badging level. So Lisa, I just love this concept. And let me just say one last thing. I'm going to shut up, I promise. But I've been talking about precision faculty development. When I presented with my buddy, Charlie Irvin, in Chicago for the AAMC Group on Faculty Affairs back in the 2019, because there's precision medicine, and I learned about precision education. I'm like, why can't we do precision faculty development? Is it time? Back in 2019, it really wasn't time. Now I think it's time because we can't get the we can't get the bodies in the seats anymore. People are voting by mouse click. Mm-hmm. So we're losing community. People are listening to youth faculty, listening to faculty development content on YouTube, you know, podcasts at double and triple speed. They just don't have time to commit to 
one hour seminars, let alone three and four hours seminars like we used to do. So even recently, I was talking to Lisa Bellini at Penn. And so she and I are revisiting this, you know, I've kind of asked her to work with me to help me think about precision faculty development or personalized faculty development, like you just said, Lisa. I mean, you're talking about what we're thinking about, that we need to, we need to go into the modern age for younger, newer learners, newer mm-hmm. faculty members. They're not going to ever, those days of being in a seminar for hours and hours with people are gone. So we, I think you, you're hitting it. And I think I like this badge concept for thinking about how can we create personalized precision faculty development going to where the faculty are. I love your analogy of the tree trunk. And I will say um, that the person to me who's doing the most phenomenal work around this, like he took what I've been thinking about in my head and is sort of making it happen um, is uh, is Nels Carlson at um, Oregon Health and Science University. And um, he, he, give him a call. You will love um, doing an interview with him because he is doing He's. Just, I. I saw a presentation by him at last year's Learn Serve Leave at the AMC meeting, mm. and we've and I've connected with him since then. We've been connecting once a month in this sort of organic little group that's formed um, because he's doing just phenomenal work. I think he's going to revolutionize CPD. Oh, what CPD? Uh, sorry, continuing professional development. Yes. Okay, folks, and in, you're about to hear in medicine. Faculty member, you're, you're about to hear how networking works. So. Dr. Lisa Coplett, when we hang up from the Zoom call, would you please do an e-introduction for me to Nell? I would be so happy to. And then we'll invite him to be on the Faculty Factory podcast. And this is how you network. Thank you, Dr. Coplett. And I was, and we had started this digital badge at the at the most nascent stages when I went to his talk. And um again, as I said, what he's doing is really sort of exploding what I had sort of in my mind, but but that it really does speak to that in enhancing that internal motivation. And so we had um we had a topic area that we really needed to focus on. And it was clinical assessment and feedback, the combination of the two. And so we really wanted to to just get there was a, a core, there was core content that we really wanted to get to all of our clinical teachers. And we made a really strong concerted effort to do that. And we attached a digital badge to it. And without a doubt, it provided incentive for people to participate. Now, was it what I hope I, what I'd like to do is actually is integrate into the whole faculty development program, um, digital badging so that it's all sort of one and the same. And that, because what we also know, which is one of my other sort of points is really about faculty development period is we know that one and done also is not effective for learning for medical students or residents or faculty. So being able to build learning in a content area um, is an option that I I really want to be able to offer faculty and then reward them at every level and make that and, and not only reward them, but recognize them by making it publicly recognizable. So that's the that's mm. that's my hope and my goals over the next several years in that regard. Um, other ways that I think about of reaching our 
widely distributed clinical faculty. Um, we talked about going to them. And I think I was telling you before, there was this article that was sitting on my desk that I had read last year. And then I was just clearing off that part of my desk this morning. And I saw it. I was like, oh, that's sort of what I was thinking about this morning. Um, and it's by uh, um, Ketriona Dennis and Nancy Davies um, in Medical Teacher. It was published in 2020. And it's called 12 Tips for Promoting Consistent, Good Quality Medical Education Across Diverse Clinical Settings Through Faculty Development Approaches. And, and, it, and that's what I was think of, thinking about on the car ride in. Meant to be. So one of them that they talk about is they tell, let me see how she says it so that I, how they say it. Um, they say accommodate and support the whole team in situ. So I just liked, I liked translating the term in situ to faculty mm -hmm. development. So that's going, going to the people who need it, right? Right, right. Um, in their own workplace. Um, keeping it brief as well, rather than those three hour workshops, right? Really trying to focus on multiple buildable brief encounters is much more realistic for our busy faculty. So it really requires us to shift the way we develop faculty development curriculum and the way we teach. You have to rethink it all. Just like we ask our faculty to shift and rethink the way they teach when when we say we're, you know, we're going to change our instructional methods, right? right? We've got to relearn all this. So we we have to do the same. Um and Alice Fernari um at um Hofstra Northwell is a huge proponent of micro teaching. Um oh, yeah. and um and so bringing that and, and meeting faculty where they're at together, you know, she, I'm sure you know her, she has created this amazing app. It's called JIT, J-I-T-T -T, uh -huh. for just time teaching. Yep. Uh, it really is a, a fabulous resource for faculty. So that's a, that's a great example of an asynchronous resource. It's brief. It's right when people need it. It's at their fingertips. Um, and it's wherever they are, it's there, right? So that's the asynchronous piece. Um, we talked about it being buildable. Um, oh, and then and then in terms of the what do you teach? You know, we we have to give people what they need, but we do. We can't just give people right of their perceptions of what they need and they're interested in, because the reality is is that we have to meet accreditation standards. And we also have to respond to students um, to students' feedback, right? right? So we have to balance those two. But we do need to at least take, you know, to at least take very seriously what we're hearing and and seek to learn what our faculty want. Oh gosh, Lisa, this is this so so much. Uh, first of all, Alice Fornari, yes, episode one five eight. I just looked it up. She was on the Faculty Factory podcast talking about what Dr. Lisa Coppola just said. The JIT episode 158. And so, yes, you, you just said something that was also very, very important that we have to keep in mind what the learners need and demand and what they want to know and get that content to them just in time, mm -hmm. the way they want to learn, how they like to learn, because we know right. they give Myers-Briggs, some people like the details, some people like abstract thinking, um, we learn differently. So yes, what do you need faculty learner or learners or students? What do you need? What do you want? What can help you? And my struggle is then I always like, how do you balance it? 
you don't know what you need. So I sometimes you know what you need because you're like, yes, that's all it. of us. I don't yeah. understand the sponge flow model. So I need to understand the economics of clinical operations. And then there are some people who say, well, I don't need mentorship or or how to how to teach. I'm a great teacher. I'm a great mentor. And you think, no, you're not. No, you're not. So how do you, you don't know what you don't know. So there's that opposing forces of, you know, how do you, what do you think of that, Lisa? That's right. Or maybe you do know it. But, but there's always something new to learn. And if it's something that you value, there's always deeper learning to do or something new, right? So I, I could not ag- agree more. Um, and that's why I think it's also important that we have to be smart about, you know, do like other industries, marketing things, communicating things, rather than saying, come to this session on how to be a good mentor. That's not going to sell it to me. But there are people out there who would know how to sell that session or the FAQ or the tip sheet or the micro learning um, to someone who's like, well, actually, you're right. Maybe, you know, when was the last time I took that mentoring? That must have been 10 years ago. No, well, maybe that maybe things have changed in 10 years. So packaging things is something like we're not trained to do. I mean, I'm not I was not trained in how to package and communicate and market my content. Are you kidding? I was never even trained on how to develop the content. So we're learning all of this, all the more reason to bring diversity to our tables, diversity in, in every in every facet. You mentioned earlier, interprofessional education. Look at our peers and, and colleagues in in the education schools of education and mar- in business school and marketing school and in engineering. We have to figure, we have to bring other people to our tables to help us develop the content, but deliver it in the right way. I've been vigorously nodding for the entire time. (laughs) I literally, I literally was going to say marketing is the next thing. It's because it's in the, again, that sounds like a a not very academic thing to talk. You have to, you have to, I've had, and, and I think about this so much, in fact, so we're yeah. we have a new event. We're having a our first annual faculty celebration on June first, and um and we because we're sort of putting things together in a little bit different way this year and have different goals for it. So this is new. Getting people to attend something new is always challenging. They don't know what it is. They don't know if it's worth their time, right? Right. And so I had one of my colleagues here say, "Oh." You mean this thing you're talking about right now that's going to have, we're going to present the teaching awards, we're going to have a networking session, and we're going to do some faculty development around around teaching um, clinical reasoning. He said, that's the faculty celebration? He said, I ignored that email. I didn't, he was, I'm not going to look at something called a faculty celebration. He's like, you got to call that something different. So so then I talked to him for a while about what's a call, right? And I, we talk about this stuff all the time, all the time, all the time. And it just breaks my heart, like breaks all day long, every day, I swear, because I always get so excited about something. And then somebody will, I'll be invited to a department or division to give my little talk about, hi, I'm Kim Skrupski from the Office of Faculty Development. And then it never fails. There'll be a person who go, oh, this is great news. I never heard of the Office of Faculty Development. And I just want to... And- Oh my I God, how many times? And, and you're like, well, no, my, 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 <laughs> I, I just, it's one of those like, but yeah. yeah, it's just, it's, but then I have to give myself some grace and mercy and realize that that's right. It's fire hose all day long to fight. All day fire long. Hose in the face. So you can't, 
I can't blame them for. I mean, you don't read. Of course not. You don't read that one email, the 500 emails you you get every day. Exactly. That's exactly right. Everything. They don't pay attention. They're smart people. They don't pay attention to things that don't matter at that moment. And what we have to accept is that it's actually part of our job to figure out how to get people to open the email and how to write. And that that's just, it is, it's part of our job now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you yeah. say anyway to do it different ways. It's not just maybe one email. It's the email, it's the yep. television monitor, it's the newsletter, it's a bulletin, yep. it's a personal contact, it's the forwarding the email to Lisa Coplet. Hey, Lisa, mm-hmm. Kim, I did this last year. You might want to check this out. It's the endorsement of things. It's the constant repeating of it's so many different ways a consistent message persistently presented a consistent message persistently presented my friend who's a marketer and she says Kim I keep telling you it's a consistent message persistently presented I'm like I know I know I don't know if you hear my pen clicking when I'm writing that down consistent message persistently consistent message persistently presented and then I, because I always think, well, how many times do I have to say this? And I'm like, 70 times seven, apparently. I have to keep saying it all the time. And guess what, Kim? That's part of your job. So get That's right. Good learning. That's right. And the only other thing that really came to mind today, I'm sure there's more. This was just really off the top of my head was, again, back to logistics. When you have that many sites, having one key contact at each site. And I used to think it had to be the same person, that it has to be the vice chair of education for that. No, it needs to be the person who picks up the phone when you call or who answers and who, you know, that person who just knows everyone. The connector. The right. Connector. It's, it's the yeah. connector person. And you have to have somebody at every site. Who, yeah. And that's super helpful, too. That everybody knows that that's the person. Yeah. Oh, if you want something, I don't, I don't know the name of that specific document. Yes. Lisa Coplett. Hit up Dr. Coplet, she knows. Dr. Coplet. There's that's always right. a person that's the go-to person. That's the input person, the person like me who's like, I don't know, but just go there. That's you're exactly right. You need the stakeholder, the champion mm-hmm. who's got you. You gotta take care of them. They've got to be in the know. And yeah. And the weird and thing that. is sometimes that's a CEO, and that's, sometimes it's, it's an administrative administrator. Assistant. It's so different. It just depends at each place. One thing that I hope resonates with other people um, is that I realized a, a, a long time ago that the faculty development, per, the person who's responsible for faculty development in each medical school is typically one person. And we're a bit of an island. And and I sort of feel like, well, doesn't everybody just absolutely love faculty development? Like, it's so interesting and it's so exciting and no, the answer is no. There's not not everybody loves faculty, but I do, and um, and the few other people who do, guess what? They have other full time jobs. This isn't really their their job. So we yeah. tend to work as an island, and when we get to connect with other people who share our passion, it's so exciting oh. and stimulating and and relieving in some ways. And it's, there, so it's just so many things. You're so encouraging. Encouraging. Yes. That's why we built this podcast because yes. exactly this. Lisa, you're whistling Dixie. Is that the right metaphor? Whistling this, whatever you're, you're, you're singing my song is that you're exactly right. It's so low. It can be so lonely. Yeah. So lonely because I do live and breathe this. And it does. When I said it breaks my heart, there's not a, there's never a day when my heart doesn't break. 
because I feel like I should be doing more. And we have, you know, 5,000 faculty members and I just feel helpless. And you know, we're reinventing the wheel again and again. Because other people are facing the same things and have the same great ideas. We think we're the one with this great idea. Guess what? 50 other people are thinking that somewhere else. Which is why we need this. You're you're so right, Lisa. This, that's why we have to, all of us, we have to find ways to connect and to build communities. And you don't even have to have a podcast, but just putting time in your calendar to connect with people like Lisa Coughlin. I've never met her personally before this. And now I'm totally simpatico with you. We are like I know. talking I said the same way. Exactly. And this is how you build community, build relationships. And this can happen just on, on a mouse click. And so thank you for, you know, reminding me and encouraging me that I'm not alone, that there, and, and you're not, if you're listening to this right now, you're not alone either. You think you're alone. You're unique. You're different. Nobody knows you. Nobody gets you. Yes. And guess what? There are a million plus people who are just like you thinking the same thing. So true. We have to connect with each other. We're better together. We really are. And so yes. And this is one way to connect. Like that's why I think this is, this is such an amazing resource because this helps us to connect. And even though you might not be live in the conversation, you know, you're, you're sitting it, you know, sitting in your car, nodding at certain things. You're, you're, you know, you're with us. We're, we're all sort of working towards the same goal. So this is one way, but also feeling free to reach out. And if you have a question and you read an article and like, Oh, that's what reach out to the author, reach out, you know, and, and it does build those amazing connections. And reach out to your your faculty development leaders and your institutions. We're yes. lonely. We love you. We want to help you. Oh my gosh. When people come in and say they want to talk about a certain topic and they're like, I don't want to take your time. I'm like, no, this yeah. is, this is my, my life. My life. What I live for, you know? Come in. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me of this, Lisa. You're just wonderful. I really, really you. appreciate you. Sure you so can. grateful for your time today. This is a public service to all faculty developers. Is <laughs> your podcast. So those were the ramblings of I my love it. This oh my gosh. No, Lisa, this is <laughs> and perfect. over many years, of course. Naturally. No, you are wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing all this. Um, friends, we have been learning a lot from Dr. Lisa Coplett at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University. She's their associate dean for faculty development and a professor of medical sciences. Awesome, awesome person. I learned a lot. Stay tuned because thanks to Dr. Coplett, we're gonna get Dr. Carlson on here. I'm sure of it. Lisa, I'll leave the final words to you. And thank you again so much. Uh, To be honest, the last thing that comes to my mind is being open to recognizing you don't have the answer. Because I really think that the answer, regardless of what challenge we're trying to meet, in this case, how how to reach faculty who are really geographically dispersed in our community based schools, I think the answer is evolving right? Because we're evolving so much in in medical education and in medicine and the practice of medicine that we just have to evolve. Thank you. Everything is changing, but we have to evolve. There's no alternative. We have to change. We have to recalibrate our, Mm -hmm. our learners, our faculty deserve it. And so we we're going to, we're going to meet the challenge. I know we're, especially with people like you on the job, we've got this. We've got this. Thank you, Dr. Coplett. Thanks, everybody, for being on the Faculty Factory Podcast. Thank you. Hi, everyone. It's Kim Skorupski in the Faculty Factory. 
Just a big thank you for being a part of this vibrant international community where we all share our tools to build academic leaders. Did you know that the Faculty Factory podcast for almost five years now, dropping episodes every Friday, has had almost 70,000 downloads and YouTube listeners from 84 countries? We're waiting to learn from you. Would you please shoot me an email so that we can record your episode? Or maybe you'd like to sponsor someone else to be on the podcast? Our email address is facultyfactorykim at gmail. The address at Hopkins here is kskarupski. That's K-S-K-A-R-U-P-S-K-I at J-H-M-I dot E-D-U. And yes, all the episodes on the Faculty Factory podcast are also on our YouTube channel. We have a YouTube channel and the YouTube channel is sorted into buckets for your easy viewing. Let me look at these buckets and tell you what they are. Discussions with deans, communication, general faculty development podcasts and interviews, promotion and tenure, reunion episodes from great speakers from the past and guests from the past, the habits and hacks from Hopkins. We recorded that during COVID when we were all kind of hunkered down, self-awareness and self-management, leadership, networking, research and scholarship, and mentoring and coaching. So again, that's on the YouTube channel. Then did you also know that the facultyfactory.org website has drawn almost 37,000 visits from users in 122 countries? If you go to facultyfactory.org, we've put together a lot of resources for everyone to share. Not only will you see the podcast, but under resources, we have coaching resources, we have our eBooks, we have all the institutions. Yes, if you're listening from any other institution, any school of medicine in North America, your institution is listed there under resources with a link to your Office of Faculty Development or Faculty Affairs. If we have the wrong address, give us an update, but that's a really neat way of seeing all the schools in North America. We have related affiliate organizations, so the Association of American Medical Colleges, affinity groups, and other partner groups that you might be interested in that do faculty development. And then scholarship, we have a link on tons of scholarship around faculty affairs and faculty development, so you could check that out as well. And then we have a blog, and there's places to contact us on the website as well. So facultyfactory.org, you can send an email directly through the website. We also have a Faculty Factory Twitter channel. You might want to join us there. And then we have two free ebooks. We're working on the third, spoiler alert, but two free ebooks you can send to all your colleagues, friends, faculty members, learners, trainees. One is called the Snippets for Success. That's all of you around the country who shared your tips and tricks for being successful in academic medicine. That's a free ebook sitting there waiting to be downloaded. As well as, again, during COVID, we did habits and hacks from faculty members here in Hopkins. They shared their wisdom around how they built their careers, how they overcame certain hurdles and challenges. 
That's another ebook you can take a look at and share with friends. So thank you again for listening to the Faculty Factory podcast, for being a part of our community. Will you please tell someone today about the Faculty Factory podcast? These Faculty Factory efforts are supported by the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and our wonderful Vice Dean for Faculty, Dr. Maria Oliva Hemker, and you, our loyal patrons who share our passion around the world for faculty career and professional development. Thanks, everybody.